When that robot voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, oh, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, perhaps you're just enjoying the new fall air. My changing i'm liking it maybe you're out on a walk maybe you're walking the dog whatever the case we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlc pod they bring the show to you their generosity their support means we get to keep making them and in exchange they get some cool perks including a ton of bonus content. They get video versions of the show on demand. They get ad-free episodes. And they get so much cool content, uh, more than you can shake a stick at. I don't know why you'd want to be shaking a stick at your pod player of choice. But we've got uh, we've got Feeling This Fridays for you, where Christian Spicer and Alex Simon talk about the feelings behind video games. We've got... The DLC book club for you, the audio podcast version exclusive to patrons. And we've got the Wednesday paid DLC show that is is becoming more structured, but still a wild and woolly uh, wasteland of wonderment. Yeah, I did that. Uh, all available for patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who knows what it's like to have the Dolphins drop 70 points on you in Madden, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Hello, last main show before it's candy corn season. In this Ooh. house, candy corns don't come out until October 1st, and when they do, you're like a squirrel. You got to pound them away because you're never going to see them again until next <laughs> October. You got to- You know, there's a, hmm. there's a whole, I'm not one of them, but there's a whole bunch of people that find candy corn repugnant. See, I wonder about that. We don't need to do a whole side topic on this. It's like people that think cilantro tastes like soap. To yeah. me, I bet they just also think soap is delicious then, right? That's a win. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only, only logical interpretation of that sentence. Yeah, I also like candy corn. And yeah, it's almost spooktober. But we got one more day of uh, fun, fun, fun burn? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, remember last week when I told you the, those kind of episodes, jam-packed, so much to talk about. Uh, they only come around once every, I don't know, uh, six months or so. What if I told you we have back-to-back episodes with more news than we could possibly fit into the show? But it's I can also flood. tell you. There will never be another one like it for another, it is, oh crap. <laughs> it's, it's too much. But ladies and gentlemen, the good news for you is that we have one of our favorite guests to get through it all with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because once again, DLC stands for... Delight lifted from chaos because from Jeff Grubb's game mess, as well as Giant Bomb and the Giant Bomb cast, one of our favorite people and a charter member of the International Association of Gaming Jeffs, 
It's Jeff Grubb back with us. Hey, Jeff. Hey, I'm happy to be back here. Yeah, the, the blue screen of Jeff has uh, has come together once again, and yes. uh, we're, we're going to take on this big list of news. I, like, turned my brain off from, uh, uh, like, work at the end of Friday, and I forgot. I'm like, oh, my God, last week was so busy. Yes. So much stuff happened. Oh, my God. It's, uh, it's going to be a test to see how much we can get through, but let's jump right in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know. That's the email address to use. Or you can visit one of our communities. We have a rockin' Discord at 5x5DLC on Discord, where you can also suggest stories or hang out with folks, talk about the show, talk about games, talk about whatever you like. There's also a subreddit, which is also 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Urge you to take part. Really fun folks hanging out, doing their thing. But Jeff, oh my goodness, the, the, uh, the decision here. There are some massive stories, <laughs> and not, not just one, not just two, but there's a number of them. I'm curious, what would you consider to be your story of the week? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think in hindsight, you can kind of go in so many of these directions, but I, I guess I would still say the, the story of the week is the Xbox leaks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a big oopsie. Uh, yes. we, we, you know, we covered the, the trial, the FTC uh, trial with Microsoft uh, trying to get their uh, acquisition of Activision Blizzard King pushed through. We've covered it from so many angles, as I'm sure you have as well. Uh, it's been fun going through that. Little did we know. <laughs> that the remember when that we Sony, seen, you remember when Sony was like, oopsie, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. The leaks that we had seen up to this point <laughs> seemed so significant. Right. <laughs> Just a couple of bad Sharpies. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We thought, oh, we got, we got some amazing stuff there. Wow. That's, what a real, what a peek behind oh. the curtain. Oh, yeah. The God of War took $200 million to make. Who would have ever guessed? <laughs> yeah. We're never going to see anything this juicy again. This merger's all but done. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, it turns out Microsoft uh, themselves are responsible, uh, reportedly, for this. You know this. what this is? This is the guy having the football. He's going to do the big return, and he's getting right across the, the the goal line. And it's, he like right then he fumbles it, and it goes out, and he gets <laughs> exactly. a safety instead. This is exactly what this is. <laughs> you got this one in the bag. I'm going to yeah. do some high-stepping. High-stepping. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. So uh, if you haven't heard, ladies and gentlemen, an absolute torrent of material uh, landed itself on the web accidentally unredacted uh, and we got emails from Phil Spencer we got slides of uh, unreleased SKUs of new consoles and new controllers so much stuff here we got attempts to or, or uh, pro, you know um, declarations of wanting to purchased nintendo this and set the battle. internet on fire yeah. as you might expect jeff i'm sure you've talked about this at length already and we i would like to step through all the details as much as possible there's just so much here but yeah. i'm curious your sort of uh 10, foot view yeah. of this uh really it's like the 10,000 foot view is in a month we'll, we'll forget about most of this stuff <laughs> as, as juicy as it all is as it all is right in this moment uh none of it is that outlandish and it's kind of all like just confirming stuff you could either guessed 
or you knew was in the works or stuff they've literally said was in the works. They're making right. that controller uh, that they said they would probably make a couple of years ago. Well, now we know it's coming. And they've said like repeatedly, Phil Spencer said to my face, yeah, we're not going to be doing a, a, a next gen or a, a half step pro model. We, we think we're happy with what we have. And so what are they going to do instead? They're going to put more storage into an Xbox series X and do some other things to it, but that's going to be the refresh model. And it's, it's, so it's none of it is too scandalous, right? The most scandalous thing I think people kind of glommed onto was the uh, the Nintendo thing. But it's like you look at that email in context, and it's someone saying like literally the subject line is random thought. Someone yeah. else at Microsoft was like, "What if we bought Nintendo?" And Phil's like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, that that would be great. Of course, we would buy Nintendo if they were for sale." But here's why that won't work. So even that's not that scandalous. I completely agree. I, I think it is. It's. It's remarkable to see the sort of unfettered interaction yes. between big executives, you know, uh, Satya Nadella and and Phil Spencer, like the the way they actually correspond with one another. That feels that feels voyeuristic and absolutely, you know, it, it was like, oh, this is you know, this is the real deal here. So there is something juicy about it, no doubt. But I also read all this and was like. We could, we would have guessed if you had said we got a bunch of emails from from Phil Spencer, I would have been like, well, I probably could guess what a number of them would have in them. You know, yes. it's like you it's cool to see it and it feels scandalous to be able to see it. And I can understand some folks at Microsoft not wanting people to see it. But, you know, if you don't think every single company has had a discussion of of a certain size. Has had a discussion about purchasing Nintendo. Yes. You're crazy, right? Yeah, they all. They, it's. I mean, literally, it is their job to have that conversation. There are people inside these businesses that 100 percent of the time are thinking about what a merger and acquisition strategy should look like. Uh, I, I met someone from um, Microsoft's M and A team when I was out at uh, 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 Seattle for PAX. I just like bumped into someone. They're like, Yeah, yeah, we're. We're working on all kinds of things constantly. I'm like, yeah, I bet you are. Like, like yeah. you, you can't have that much money in the bank and not have a mergers and acquisition strategy because money in the bank, that the kind of money that Microsoft has, the kind of money that Nintendo has, it's a liability because it's getting hit really bad by inflation right now. It always gets hit by inflation, 2% every year. It's where they want it to be at. But like right now, it's really bad in terms of inflation. So that money's a liability. It's going to be worth less next year than it is this year. You got to spend it, turn it into an investment, and and so it's like, yeah, that it is the strategy. It is part of the, the way that they operate. So, yeah, of course, they've had that conversation. I would bet a large sum of money that you could dredge up an email from someone in Apple saying, hey, should we purchase Nintendo? You know yep. what I mean? Like that's just it just feels like that's par for I the even, course. I believe like they probably had like a dinner with someone from Nintendo, like even that yeah. much. They probably have had those conversations. Just like, what does that look like? That, that those, those those things happen constantly. Christian, um, you know, this was a pretty wild and woolly week for for gaming news just because of this. Do you agree with our assessment that it's it's, you know, it's exciting, but there feels like there's not that much, as Jeff said, scandalous here. Uh, I would go a half step. I wouldn't disagree with what you are saying, but I also wouldn't like full-throated yell in agreement. I think there is some really fascinating stuff that is maybe more interesting to Microsoft's competition than it is to the average gamer or even the enthusiast press or even the tech journalist. I think what's fascinating about this to me in many ways is one, how well prepared these 
presentations, probably PowerPoint because it's Microsoft, um, how well these presentations are polished and finished. And this stuff, as Phil said in his comments to the team after, uh, which then immediately got leaked, also his internal email about it. Um, but these are from 2020. And this lined up next Series X in controller. The renders are all but final looking. This isn't a prototype cobbled together type thing. And I think it's always fascinating when you see the inside workings of these large companies and how far ahead they have to be working to have these products hit retail that seem like a long time apart. It's like right now, Apple just announced the new iPhone. They are so deep in R&D and early production models of the next, next iPhone because that stuff just takes time to have it be showing up at your house now after they announced it last week. And to see this stuff from Microsoft, I think is a a great reminder of that. And then I think the biggest thing that um, other businesses in the gaming space probably took a lot of interest to are these internal communications about getting games on Game Pass. And it was uh, Polygon, I think, had an interesting write-up about that, where the title was like, uh, Phil Spencer's right, AAA games are in trouble, or or something like that. And because on this internal document, you saw the prices that they thought they were going to offer, uh, or what they thought would be a starting offer to get these big AAA games on Game Pass. And then there were some notes about not going to happen, they'd never do it, it's their crown jewel, don't have a great well, the, relationship. The context um, for that is is seeing some of these big delays like Starfield. You know, this was you know, a couple of years ago now, and seeing Starfield move out of a of a very planned release window started these dominoes of like, okay, we got to acquire some big third party releases to fill that gap. And I think it's fascinating when you go, oh, I mean, that's what you would expect. You would go, hey, we have, if we have to move Starfield, we're not going to have this huge influx of sales for game pass for you know our our portfolio we got to fill that somehow what do we do what do we got to spend what do we got to acquire what's on the horizon i think again it makes sense but to see it in stark numbers is pretty amazing and to see some of the misses like Baldur's gate won't be a huge hit five million you know versus some of these so again it's 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 the minutiae of the details of things i think big picture it's all like well of course they'd want to do something like that but they weren't wanting to do something like that. They were knee deep in the mud, putting dollars on things in hopes to try to find a way to shore up their game release and their their you know diamond of Game Pass. Like that is their thing. And how are they going to stop the hemorrhaging because of the delays? Yeah. Just because you referenced this specifically, I want to highlight the fact that their estimate was that to get Baldur's Gate 3, which has been a massive hit, onto Game Pass would have been $5 million for a day-and-date launch. Yep. That's what they would have to offer Larian. And they, they're, they're, the reason is that it, it had already been on Stadia at that point, because in early access, it went on Stadia. And they're like, so this will be its second run. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, the from um, Larian, the studio that did Baldur's Gate, they came out and they're like, we, we don't hold that against them. Like, everyone, right. we kind of thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, yeah. we probably would have taken $5 million. I mean, I think their success saying. shocked even them. That's what they've Absolutely. kind of messaged around, too. Yes. But in to, to, to contrast that, they estimated that to get Star Wars Jedi Survivor day and date on Game Pass would be $300 million yes. you have to give EA. And then also said, still, even at that, probably wouldn't happen because it's... Because they're, they're having a, trouble convincing third parties uh, that, that they need to be on Game Pass. Now, they, they're making headwinds there because we see that um, Capcom and Sega have been moved to put some single-player narrative games 
that are going to come out at 60 to $70 on the Game Pass. But you see these other companies like EA and a lot of other companies on that list, a lot of that stuff didn't happen. And it's like they have made uh, advances with some of these publishers, surprisingly publishers from Japan, uh, ones that seem to be like, hey, well, let's mitigate some risks for these ones we're not sure about. <laughs> I think Capcom's putting out Path of the Goddess. That's the big one from the last uh, Summer Game Fest. That I was like, oh, wow, that's surprising that Capcom's going to have a new, basically a new IP, and they're going to put it on Game Pass day and date. That's interesting, and, and interesting, but you kind of see, like, that's one of the ways they're mitigating these risks. Dino uh, Crisis. Uh, yeah, in- uh, yeah, 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 that game. We have the multiplayer games, right. Those ones, they've made a lot of, uh, had a lot of success getting the companies to come on board. Because multiplayer games, that instant audience, it, it's a natural fit mm. for, uh, for, uh, for Game Pass. But the, the single-player games have been sort of a, a question mark, and that's starting to change for some publishers. Other publishers still haven't bit, though, and that's, that's going to take some time. I guess the good news for Microsoft is, you know, they got to there with Sega and Capcom by just ha- giving them good deals for other stuff. And they had such a good experience. They keep coming back for more. And the next time they're doing something even bigger. So some of the strategy is working. But like, Christian, you you mentioned um, or when, when you mentioned the story from Polygon, like uh, tri- like uh, Phil Spencer's right, AAA gaming is in trouble. That was the most insightful thing that I saw out of all the weeks was Phil Spencer's uh, email kind of uh, diagnosing the problem yeah. with big publishers and essentially, like the, the story goes, as far as he, he can tell, as far as the way he explains it to someone in an email, that these big publishers used to have this moat around them called retail, and they were the only ones that could get into retail so they could make any kind of game all up and down the spectrum of big budget, little budget, whatever genre. They were the ones holding the keys to the kingdom so they could make whatever. And then digital came along, and now anyone can make a game. And it's been democratized fully at this point. Anyone can put out a game on Steam and some of the biggest games in the world now come from there. And these big companies have struggled to create a new moat. He's like, ideally, the moat would have been become like Disney, become something that's attractive as a platform unto yourself, something that Nintendo has done. Nintendo yeah. is that thing where uh, unto itself, it is, uh, it is a platform that people, uh, when they see a Nintendo game, I like Nintendo games. No one says that about EA, Activision, Ubisoft, any of these companies. No one has any sort of... Uh, uh, Sort identity. of identity. Uh, yeah, there's no identity, and no one has any skin in the game with these companies. And so, how do they fight against it? Two hundred million dollar budgets, and that's unsustainable. And that means they, they they have these huge risks, and they don't have any other sort of new business models to fight against this. And it's like, yeah, that's what's happened. And all these big companies are in that scenario, and that's why when Activision was uh, back on its heels from uh, all the toxicity and Bobby Kotick being a, a piece of crap and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, in the past, they would have been like, well, let's just, you know, we'll fight through it. We'll make a lot of money. But it's like, there's no path forward to growth. We've maxed out Call of Duty. So mm-hmm. they were ready to go because they saw this really, this huge challenge in front of them that they have no answer for. Yeah. It's a powerful email. And I, I suggest people read it for themselves because one of the things that's so cool about this, I think, you know, as a, as a me, <laughs> as an end user, as a person outside mm-hmm. looking in who gets this really interesting window into the inner workings of a company this size, is you really understand what Phil Spencer's job is to yeah. a certain extent, or at least more understanding than I've ever had before, right? And I, I thought that was, it, that analysis that he puts forth, it, and he is even explicit in saying it applies not just to the games industry. It's, it's happening to the film industry. It happened to the music industry. It's like this, what the internet and streaming as a distribution platform democratized everything. And all they have now is scale. It's like, well, we can do 
we can sign the million dollar, you know, million dollar, the, the multi-million dollar artist. We can fund the $200 million game that is as a size and scale and level of, you know, uh, realism that the little guy can't possibly do. But that's all they've got. And, and so he says, don't take risks because of that. Exactly. No that, one takes it's, risks. it's these golden handcuffs that are forcing them to rely on IP that is stale and and you know, yeah, 10 years old and all or, that stuff. Or rented from these other companies. Like, yes, yeah, like, that was, that's why mm-hmm. it's so, like, yeah, you just had a really bad time with Star Wars. Now you're going to go make a couple, like, three Marvel games? Why are you yeah. doing that? Well, turns out that is still <laughs> less risky than making a new game at EA. And it's you have a, such a better chance of getting your project greenlit if you go and rent an IP from someone like Disney rather than trying to say we are going to push forth something new. Yeah. And, and I've been I, hearing that see- for years, and it's like to see – to see Phil just lay it out like this is exactly why it's happened. It's like, yeah, okay, we've we've kind of thought these things in the past, but just to have someone at the top say, no, this is what's happening, it's nice to see. Totally. And it, it really resonated with me, you know, even in like the movie industry, you're, you're seeing something like Barbie being this massive hit. Right. And the lesson is we need more events well we need more toy ips right that's the that's the lesson they've learned but god yeah it's like it's we're we're gonna see uh you know all the cabbage patch kids and then we're gonna see a million things they're already talking about how you know mattel wants to have like the mattel universe and it's because they learn the wrong lessons right they go oh what's the safe thing that's going to ensure the people spend the money is we gotta mine this sure thing we got to mine these known what properties about a, a, a female director and a strong point of view i'm sorry i'm no 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 it's gotta be yeah. it, it's a no. toy that everybody remembers from their childhood that's the, the it, thing that it, made it yeah. successful <laughs> idiot i'm sorry yeah it's um it, but you know so it does apply and, and phil's even even says it explicitly it, it applies but it's like you said it's so cool to see him lay it out and really explain it and that a, that a guy that has that much sway at a company understands that on a fundamental level is kind of cool. Well, and, and, and he, at least, you know, for as much as people might disagree or disagree, he has a solution to it. His solution is game pass. Like that cha- that changes the incentives to the point where, you know, back in 2017, you look at Xbox, you could hear Phil talk back then. I remember listening to him talk in interviews back then and be like, this guy is afraid of making games. This guy knows that like, uh, taking big risks isn't going to make sense, but he knows he has to take huge risks with gigantic budgets. And he's like, he's not sure if that's going to work. This is a guy that spends thousands of hours playing Destiny, so he's not going to. Um, so he knows how some people like just get into one game, and so you put out a big two hundred million dollar budget game, and they might just ignore it. And then that's that's a that's a, a huge waste of money, and it it, it takes away all the, all this money from all these other projects. What if we could change the incentives and it's like even little games are contributing to this big subscription. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that seems like a good way to solve some of these problems here. So it's, yeah. it's cool to see someone who has who, who can diagnose the problem and has a vision. That's the only part of it, if I were to like argue with myself or play devil's advocate, where I see uh, – what's the fox's name in Pinocchio? Honest, Honest John. Like it seems a little like – there's a real problem here. It is bad. If only there was some way we could. Sure. Oh, we can fix it. Come, come to put these well, golden handcuffs on. Join I mean, our platform. The, the way the, the email reads, he doesn't sound like this is going to fix it for anyone else. Like they, yeah. he's like, they should have done this themselves. They should have been now, willing to yeah. make. Then now they have to like come to us. Yeah, so, and he's yeah. not doing do any PR for anybody. It's an internal email. Well, yeah. The other right, thing, you know, right. the other thing that that is the big takeaway for me from all this is everybody's got a boss. 
Yeah. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody's got a boss because he's, he's like, like, you know, he runs Xbox. He's the big grand poop CEO bot. of Microsoft Gaming. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you know, he's still like, um, we go so, ask Satya. Satya, uh, <laughs> the, the, I got to explain. Here's the situation I'm in, bud. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he gets these missives like, hey, why aren't we doing this? And he's like, got to write this long uh-huh. email. <laughs> you know, like. It's, yes, I love that. That's what I do like the most. It's like he's most of these emails are him just explaining things, and you could tell he's got to be very patient. And yeah, that's part of his job. It's just explaining the whole thing that he does to people above him. Um, yeah. I, I, some of these other things, though, I, they're, they're like if I'm like trying to like pick and choose the things that will stand out to me, uh, the the next gen Xbox stuff. And I don't know if you're like right, if you're okay if I just sure, yeah, jump go. ahead. Yes, this. do it. Um, the CPU where they say and they're saying, OK, we have to make key strategic decisions by Q1 of calendar year 23. So I uh, presumably they've already decided on this. They said their key strategic decisions and investments for the next gen Xbox is for the CPU. Is it going to run on X64 on a Zen six, which would be like the next gen uh, two gens from now AMD CPU, which would be very good. But it would be a base, still based on the same kind of architecture that PCs have been using for literally decades, or ARM sixty four, which is um, what's kind of the, the the architecture that's in a switch, but it's now it's the architecture that's the the backbone of what Apple's doing with Apple Silicon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, man, that would be a big change. Are they actually going to do that? Chances are they're probably not going to do it. But the fact that they were considering it to the point, like up until you know the, the calendar year twenty three, the beginning of this year, uh, that's interesting to me where it's like man what would they what would they even look like like how are they going to shift things up are they going to have backward compatibility still but i do think arm 64 is is very exciting to people who are still making hardware and they kind of think they should be shifting to it but it's going to be very hard to pull the xbox out of that x86 ecosystem right especially because they've they've created this expectation in their player base of of you know forward compatibility you know yep. backward whatever you want to call it that just, they got a good they got a good backward, backward compatibility team like some of the best uh, in the world but still that's it's questionable that's where I wonder if their cloud ambitions, because they talked about for that ARM chip that, you know, and again, this is speculation that's already been done and we don't know where it's landed right. until after we finish recording the show and new leaks come out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of like, oh, can we get to a place where we're 30% on chip and 70% offloaded? What would a world look like where we're 70% on chip and 30% offloaded? And these are conversations that, you know, if you follow the who did what murder mystery uh, red string on the bulletin board have been going back well before Phil was at Microsoft and what the Xbox one was kind of intended to be this idea of a discless, which is now part of the refresh of the series X and partially implied for their next gen console cloud computing, which was a big talking point around crackdown three and when it was developed and how it got carried over even stuff like Forza five, four, one of the forces with, drive avatars and the idea that that was happening in the cloud and they're clearly still poking at that you know next frontier of what computing can be and the stuff that apple has done so well with their m series of chips is creating chips that fit in a smaller fanless design and allow the computational power that far exceeds what most people need and are able to do it in a battery efficient fanless design where are we looking at a world where you know, the next big, most intense graphic console around is also portable or is tiny or is built into the TV. Like, again, this is, well, far flung stuff, but they're poking at it. 
Yeah. And and I think that what you what you see with a lot of that cloud stuff, at least it read to me, is that pressure from above thing. It's Microsoft going, hey, our bread is getting buttered right now with these services, with yeah. selling cloud services. And so why not integrate the gaming into that as well? And, you know, I I, I don't think all those those decisions are just what's the best way to make a console it's like hey how do <laughs> no, we vertically integrate yes. into our yeah <laughs> to the point where like like you could see them thinking like well if we get the console onto arm well then we can get the the cloud databases onto arm and how much energy would that save us that would save them a lot of money that would be a very big sea change to the point where uh, that would make a. I mean, obviously they've tried to push that in the past. They've tried to move Windows to ARM. They've that's been a, a failed project multiple times now. Um, if you could get gaming onto it, though, that's like your backbone. I mean, that's that was part of like what was happening with Stadia, right? Stadia was like, hey, yeah, yeah, we'll get gamers into this thing. That that helps pay for us spreading these Google nodes out into even more places around the world. That's gonna pay for the whole whole project. It's like you know, you get the console onto ARM. Then you switch over the, the the cloud databases onto ARM, and then you are just saving so much money at that point. The other thing is like this list of graphics innovations is interesting because they say they want to stick with AMD or license AM, AMD's IP, uh, but they want to have next gen DirectX ray tracing, dynamic global illumination, uh, micro polygon rendering optimizations, machine learning based super resolution, and extensibility model for faster iteration and innovation. None of those things have happened at AMD yet. All of those things are happening over at NVIDIA. Which is like okay. I mean, I get you know it's five years in the future from now, um, but when before this thing launches, uh, but it's like I'm, I, it sounds like a lot of stuff Microsoft might have to do itself because mm. AMD just does not have the software team. Like they're nowhere near with like um, machine learning super super resolution. That's all Nvidia. AMD doesn't have any of that. So it's kind of interesting. They're talking about these features as like this is what we want, but they're still working with a vendor that probably can't provide it to them. There's yeah, so much, much in that here. Is, yeah. is like dear vendor. This is what we want. Exactly. It does feel like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, you know, I think some of the juicy stuff uh, from a gamer's perspective is the list of like, here's our roadmap for what we're expecting over the next several years. And again, this is outdated, uh, relatively old, you know, a couple of years ago type stuff. But it does seem to confirm uh, remasters, remakes of uh, Oblivion, Fallout 3 from Bethesda. Um, some other interesting stuff, you know, an, another uh, Dishonored game coming um, that's kind of stuff. I'm curious, Jeff, from that, how much do you think will deviate? Obviously, you know, this stuff shifts all the time, but do you think there will be decisions to change stuff up simply because it has leaked? No, I, yeah, I mean, that's the only time that's ever happened is when I said Metroid Prime was going to get announced and Nintendo <laughs> got mad at me and they shifted it. I'm sure that's what happened there. Uh, and, then, and then announced it like a month later. Other than that, these companies usually don't uh, do, do do that sort of thing. I don't think this is like, a, especially Microsoft, right? You get the sense from these emails and these conversations and all the documentation we've seen that this is a big ship moving in a direction and to change directions would require so much energy that even if you get frustrated about a bunch of leaks, it's not worth it, especially when it's a leak of your own design, <laughs> your yeah. own mistake. Like you just got to take this one on the chin. I bet many of these things have shifted. Um, like the the idea that they wouldn't uh, necessarily prioritize a handheld gaming uh, system. They're like, hey, you know, we want one of those. Wouldn't that be nice? But, you know, we're probably not going to be able to prioritize that. So let's just keep working with outside vendors. We've seen that. But I think by the time we get to 2028, if Microsoft is still not considering 
its own handheld platform, or at least a very strong presence of handheld Windows gaming OS, uh, they've, they've missed a huge opportunity just based on what's happened with the Steam Deck. So yeah. uh, I think things have probably like revealed themselves in the market since these things were written that convinced them to change, not so much the leaks themselves. It's fascinating. And it was a really, really like I said, a really wild week to be reading this news. Um, and there's so much to dig into there. Uh, but that's not, not even remotely uh, the end of the huge news that is going down this week. So Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Oh, man. I, I want to spend time on Unity announcing the rollback to what was arguably the stupidest, if not decision, messaging of said decision. Well, you guys you guys talked about the story last Sunday, right? We did, yeah. Okay, okay. We talked yes. about the story some last Sunday. And again, recency in mind. So perhaps not the stupidest decision or messaging uh, in gaming ever. But it's got to be up there and how Unity changed their policy, changed it retroactively, applied it to developers that had no idea it was going to be applied to them, erased former terms of service to allow this modified things months prior to it felt shady. There were all the things of an incredible the social network style movie about what Unity was doing. Uh, Top brass selling stock, all of this stuff. Well, now. Before they announced their changes, they came out and announced, uh, you know, a version of the YouTube apology video, which I feel like for corporations is, we hear you, our passionate uh, developers, and thank you for your passion. (laughs) Your voices have been heard, and we're going to make feedback based on what you've said. We'll announce that feedback. Checks watch. Crap. In a few days. We're going to be very busy. (laughs) We've heard you. So they announced that, and now they've come out with some changes. I want to talk about this, but I also want to still stick a pin in it a little bit because I do not think this is still the end of this conversation, my dear Jeffs. I think this is, it felt very knee jerk in terms of them issuing a statement, rolling stuff back. It's a half step. We can dive into some specifics, but they, they changed, broadly speaking, they changed who these new fees would apply to, when they would apply, at what payouts they would apply to. It doesn't apply to devs that were working on the old version of Unity, but it applies to developers that are going to be working on the new version that's coming out, except that some devs were already working on the old version of Unity in anticipation of tool sets that would be made available into the new version of Unity. So it still feels like a mess, but I think they've done some to hopefully right this ship in terms of the runtime fee and, and, and who it applies to and when it applies. But it really, to me, still feels like the Unity ship is on shaky water. And Mr. Grubb, I'm curious your thoughts on it. If you're a developer and you're working with this company, fool me once, shame on me. You know, where are we in this relationship now and how can you trust it going forward? Yeah, I think I think most developers see this as an expression of what Unity has become And just because they've changed their tune for this doesn't mean that Unity has changed to something else. They are still the kind of company that can produce a situation like this. And as when it comes to choosing a game engine, why take that risk when there are other options? Now, you know, the reason to do that is you have a lot of institutional knowledge working on Unity. You have a lot of people who have built their entire careers about understanding how to get the most out of that engine. Uh, Yeah, I I think in some cases, probably some people are going to continue to work on Unity. In most cases, I think this is the, the the best 
you know, advertisement for Godot that's ever existed. People are going to shift <laughs> over to that very quickly. Um, but I think that, you know, because, you know, you do look at these terms now and it's like, you know, it's going to be based on revenue and the installs and you're going to whichever one's lower. That's the one you're going to pay. And say, like, OK, I guess that does kind of answer most of the questions. And there's all these other carve outs and caveats. Uh, but I think people do not tr trust tr John Riccatello. It's it's, it, you know, if you uh, like don't look at him and not just unity, it's fool me six, seven, eight, nine times <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, it, it's it, I think it's kind of it's a bit over for unity to the point where like, yeah, I think. Unity will kind of keep figuring some stuff out, and they'll have there'll be a going concern. Uh, but I do not think that they're long for this world as like the number two uh, open gaming engine. You mentioned Godot, wild. which is a yeah. a an open source um, engine, and I'm going yep. to I'm, I'm not a developer, so I, I'm going to misstate some things. Dear developers listening, and I apologize for that. But some of the noise I've heard about going that way and what makes it what has in, and some great games have been built on that engine already in the past but what makes it hard some developers were arguing to go full-fledged into that like an open source type utopia vision of an engine is a question of if there isn't this monetary incentive to keep furthering the tools how long can you rely on the goodwill yeah. of the community to keep and i don't have an answer for that it's kind of you know, you create Walden well, and then we've seen it work, survive? right? <laughs> Blender and, and OBS like that, that's I mean, it's not perfect. And those uh, like OBS, I think Blender probably too have like corporate sponsors, uh, these big corporations that that uh, have a sort of grant system that goes into these things. Uh, I kind of think that's probably what needs to happen for Godot. Uh, and I, I think that's more likely now than it than it ever has been, where it's like it gets the, the sort of sponsorship and like um, it is in the interest of a Microsoft, who I, I think does contribute to OBS. Um, I think it's in their interest to cut a check every month to something like to like Godot to ensure developers don't have this uncertainty in their lives and continue to have the ability to continue making games. And we go back to that email Phil Spencer wrote. He said, overall, like it's been a really healthy thing, the democratization, because all these other options from so many other places is a good thing. Well, you got to protect that, got to make sure that it, that is still a viable option. The next billion dollar game next 10 billion dollar game is probably going to come from someone who is just starting to learn learning to make games and you want them to like be able to like feel good about the decisions they're making and what the tools they choose to work with that's a great point yeah i mean you guys have said it it's uh it's remarkable to see the you know self-immolation that's happened um with <laughs> something that was doing very very well and yep and had all this goodwill. Um, and it, it, you just, it feels like as much as they're trying to walk this back, it's, it, you know, there are some positives, right? I, I, I think my favorite thing that I see is them acknowledging like, Hey, we can't pull the rug on you. We've got to, you got, you got to be able to stick with the terms of service that you agreed to when you started working with yes. one version of the engine. We have like, to abide by the contract we created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that, it, it's sad to say that that's something that needed to be uh, reinforced, but it's clear. Like, it, I'm glad that they are acknowledging at least that. But man, I, you know, it, it's sad to see how, how the mighty have fallen in this case. It is, uh, yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. It just feels like at this point, why even tempt fate and go, oh, okay, well, this, I'm sure it'll be fine now. Let's just keep, let's build the Unity game. I, I, I can't imagine a lot of folks are. Yeah, part of me like that. is a little frustrated at gamers for all this because uh, some of Unity's troubles, not Unity's troubles are its own creation, but 
Uh, Unity had that asset store. And I was like, that's such a great idea. Let people just create bullshit, put it in the asset store. And, and then people can go in there and buy stuff and make games without having to create all these assets. And then when games would do that, people were like, this looks like a cheap Unity game. I'm, I'm going to get very mad about it in YouTube <laughs> videos. And it's like, okay, well, that is kind of, yeah, yeah. some people are going to do that. But there might be some great ideas in those games. And like, then you eventually get like Bennett Foddy's getting over, getting over, which like tries to explain mm. like how great ideas come out of these places where assets are being reused or just bought or stolen even or whatever. And it's like, who cares? Yeah. Like the, 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 the punk rock idea that's in there is worth like uh, preserving or highlighting uh, and gamers just couldn't handle. They're like, this looks cheap. I grew up in a world where those big companies make games and that's my expectation. Um, so yeah, I'm a little frustrated with, the way gamers uh, perceived unity after a while and that yeah. could put the company in a situation where it had to go take you know try to make these big moves but also take like military contracts and again that's not gamers fault that's genre catello but still. yeah do you think jeff that uh this is the the last we'll hear of this particular kerfuffle that that or do you think that this is the last uh sort of alteration they're going to make about this and we'll move into 2024 and the next version of unity will come out and this will just be the way it goes. Or do you think there's more, there's going to be more wiggling here? Yeah, I, I it's, it's going to come down to developers and how, um, how they handle it. I mean, I think unity was uh, smart for their perspective to wait until the end of the week to, to announce this thing uh, so that developers were mostly going to, you know, go enjoy their weekend uh, because I think for developers, the, the scary thing here is, yeah, sure. The terms now are 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 pretty okay, but that runtime install fee being there creates a, a real opportunity for you to just finagle one or two things now, and then things flip over once again to being very unfavorable. And I, I so I want I, I do wonder if some developers are going to keep pushing back against like no that, that this is a step too far because mm. it should not be tied to installs at all. It should be tied to revenue. That makes sense. The installs don't. And we want to stop it right now so we don't have to deal with some new problem in the future. But I think what the most likely thing is, most developers are going to be like, fine, whatever. We're going to go look at some other options. Anyhow, mm -hmm. Unity, if you want to keep being like this, and Unity will be like, we'll kind of have this uneasy truce going forward. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to see how that all played out as well. Um, my story of the week, and there's so much to choose from. We got some awesome suggestions, actually, in the Discord. Uh, you know, there was the... The fact that uh, Valve is saying, you know, no Steam Deck 2 until at least 2025, a uh, Boolean no in the Steam Discord. No Steam Deck 2 until our leaked documents with Microsoft come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Veritable Hero told us about some interesting uh, developments with Sea of Thieves. But I got to go with, you know, putting a button on the uh, story. It was, it was the worst of times. It was the best of times over at Microsoft this week because uh, amidst all of the uh, the leaking and the the documents uh, surfing all around the internet, there was some good news because uh, the grand drama that has been the Activision Blizzard acquisition seems to be uh, finally reaching a successful conclusion for Microsoft in that the last major stumbling block holding up this uh, this deal was U the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA. Uh, and uh, they announced this week that um, we looked it over. And, okay, <laughs> we, you know, we weren't happy, but you guys changed some stuff. So I guess... I guess it's I guess you can have your screen time back, but <laughs> just know that I wasn't very happy with the way you talked to me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So basically, 
because Microsoft has, you know, the, the big focus of the CMA's uh, issue with the deal was cloud computing and how uh, they felt Microsoft would uh, achieve a monopoly in cloud computing. Uh, and it's kind of what we were talking about in the with the leaks of like how they want to kind of vertically vertically integrate cloud computing in their entire um, uh, you know product stack. Well, CMA was like, we don't like that, but Microsoft was like, well, what if we like give Call of Duty everybody and like let other people do stuff? And the, evidently, that's all it takes because while this hasn't officially been sanctioned, uh, it looks like early indications are the CMA is going to remove their uh, impediment to the deal. And things will be moving forward. They're they're going to um, they are going to postpone their actual decision until October sixth or later. Right. That's when they were always going. So this is like the preliminary decision. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so you know, I think Christian and I at, at a certain point, past a certain point, we kept just saying this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And oh yeah. There was a lot of <clears throat> back and forth, and things looked uh, precarious for a while there. But big business going to big business, right, Jeff? Is that basically the takeaway here? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Microsoft had to make um, a, a pretty sizable concession, I guess, bigger than I thought they were going to have to make with uh, the selling off the cloud streaming rights to Ubisoft. So, um, as you remember, like the Disney merger with with Fox, uh, they couldn't take Fox Sports as well, right? That's right. a clear uh, problem. If they the, the company that owns ESPN now owns Fox Sports. So especially all these local Fox uh, uh, sports uh, things, it's like, so no, uh, Disney had to sell all that off as part of the process to get the approval. And I'm like, that, that maybe Microsoft would have to do something along those lines. It turns out, yeah, it was actually far down that line where it's like, no, Ubisoft, every Activision game for the cloud rights for the next 15 years are owned straight up by Ubisoft. And if Microsoft wants to put those games on its cloud streaming service, it's going to have to go bid to Ubisoft just like everyone else can to get those to make that make that happen and any other company can make a better deal than or make a better offer than microsoft and and box microsoft out from that and that's the thing that actually commenced the cma um it's 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 strange it's kind of weird to wrap your mind around but uh once you're saying okay i like i guess that's fine and i don't think microsoft's too worried about it, honestly because as much as they've invested in the cloud and the cloud's an option for them they know for the next 10 to 15 years most stuff's going to be played on silicon in front of people and and you know they're going to and and then really they still have king the real real thing that they wanted to make happen here so yeah, yeah they're totally fine but yeah big business is going to big business this was going to go through because it's like if you just look at all the precedents from all these different uh regions like they've never really said no to a deal like this, where it's a, a big company that makes hardware buying some of the mixed software. That's the vertical integration. That's the kind they're okay with, especially in the United States. And even with the with Lena Khan trying to change things up, they just didn't have the precedent. They didn't have the law, the power of the law to back them up to try to stop this. So yeah, it went through. Uh, Christian, like uh, Jeff said, I mean, great summation of of what happened. You know, it's basically, uh, you know, I I'm not going to give you any. I'm not going to let you drink. Uh, I'm worried you're going to get in the car. Well, oh, hey, hey, what if I give my keys to this guy and they <laughs> yank Eve Gamo over here? And what if I just let him hold my keys? And then I now will I drive can't you. Even, I can't even I'll drive my even if Gimo I impression. to drive. This, yeah. this guy. It's going to be weird to be the that third guy, right? Like like Ubisoft is over there like, we get what now? That's yeah. Awesome. We get your car? Cool for us. Yeah, we well, get just your for car? 15 years to get my car. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I get your car for 15 years and all you want to do is just drink a little bit? Sweet. Yep. Uh, it's, it's straight, but it's like it like it really this after that, CMA really just had no leg to stand on anymore. Cause it's yeah. like, well, they have no way to enact these fears that you're pointing out. So CMA was had had real no recourse but to approve it. 
it's a it's a interesting um I don't know if it's square hole or round square pegs and holes. I'm not sure if that's quite the image in my head, but it's it's this idea of like, well, the, Ubisoft owns these rights. So if anyone wants to put them on their cloud streaming service, they have to negotiate with Ubisoft. You know, all these companies that have cloud streaming services, NVIDIA and NVIDIA, and then NVIDIA has it. Oh, and Microsoft has it and Microsoft. And then there's NVIDIA. And it's like this idea of like, and I understand. So from the CMA's perspective, it's, well, you have to take that as the win, as a concession, because that was the holdup. And arguably it was a weak position to stand on to begin with. And this idea now is that, oh, well, new streaming companies can come into this market, this emerging market and become competitive. And in doing so go after these primo games to include on their services. But the other side of that coin is the capital it takes to create a streaming service. And I know there are others, dear listeners, you've already emailed me. I appreciate your email. I'm aware there are others, but the capital it takes to get a streaming service at scale that works to the degree that people who play games are satisfied with. I still don't think it's a market that's super friendly to angel investors going like, yeah, I, I like you, Tyler and Jen, you've got a great idea. Here's, $20 $20 billion to go build your data center. So it's like, yeah, it works and it allows the CMA to be like, it checked our boxes. But I think, um, as you both said, I don't know how much it actually changes other than if you're in Europe and you're streaming uh, Call of Duty, do you get the Ubisoft logo first? You know, <laughs> in some you weird might. world. You might. Yeah, yeah. you might. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's a it's been a wonderful saga to to uh, follow over the last uh, what two years year and a half year um, and a half yeah but uh, it, it looks years. like this is it it's finally happening it's really going to happen so uh, yeah, pretty interesting I, and it's it, you know at the end um, Activision is one where it's like the consolidation bell doesn't really ring for me all that much because it's like it's already so much power under one publisher that doesn't do a lot with all these things it has so it moving from one place to another. Uh, you know, consolidating a little bit more doesn't do much. It's like, it's not what's like what's happening with Embracer, where it's like, we're going to just buy up all these studios and have no plan. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, fire that people is like, the plan. Yeah, the fire. Yeah, that doesn't seem great. Yeah. Um, but also, it's like, you know, th- this is not some um, uh, uh, banner new day for like, oh my God, there's going to be such a, a creative explosion now that Activision is under Microsoft either. No, it's like we might get a couple more Tony Hawks than we would have got under. Bobby Kotick. And then for me, that's like, okay, that's hey, pretty good. I'll take a couple more Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk is, is, is uh, gravy, you know? Yes, like that, that's fine for me. But um, <laughs> overall, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm interested to see how this changes up Microsoft's ability to attack the market or whatever and and, and gain some, some market share. But that's like a, an academic thing at that point. Uh, overall, yeah. as a gamer, I'm not too moved one way or the other. I do think more games are slightly more possible through Microsoft ownership than it was through Activision ownership but not some huge number. Well, there you go. We uh, fit in uh, just an insane amount of, uh, of of news there for you. And now we're going to turn our attention to the games that we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Jeff, what has made your playlist this week? Yeah, uh, one one quick thing. I got uh, Starfield up and running on the on the Roger Ally, uh, the oh. racist Roger Ally, and I've been um, enjoying enjoying it on there because it actually runs way better than I was expecting it to. Um, 
And it's uh, it's kind of a nice way for me to engage with that game where it's like, hey, it's tough for me to go get over on the on the TV and the after I get the kids to bed, I'm pretty tired. I'm going to go down there. It's like, no, I'm going to lay in bed and play a little bit of Starfield. That's the perfect place for me to be playing that. Um, so I was surprised how well it ran on there. But really what I've been playing is F-099. Well, F-0- I want to talk about this. I want to jump oh, on, on the back of your Starfield comment just real yeah, quick please. because uh, I, I wouldn't really, really need to talk about Starfield too much this week. But I do want to mention a listener by the name of Scott, reached out and sent me a little, a, a tiny little script that I put into a file in my directory, my Starfield directory, that makes it work seamlessly, perfectly with 32.9 ultra-wide, super ultra-wide. Oh, awesome, yeah. Uh, which I'd said I was super excited about the uh, the upcoming patch where they're going to add that support in, but I didn't have to wait. No. So thank yeah, you, Scott. I'm you. sure you can find it online if you Google it. It's very, very simple, and it works great, and it has opened up the whole universe for me in super ultra-wide. Okay. You can also That's find perfect. Jeff's bank account listed now as well. One <laughs> tiny little script. <laughs> a little script. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how do you like the 32 by 9 I, I had a 32 by 9 it was a 1080p one not a 1440p one I, I liked it but it like at a certain point i realized this is just the bottom half of a 4k tv <laughs> so once i realized that i'm like i couldn't get that out of my head and i'm like i should just get a big 4k tv there are enough uh, little rough edges on getting things to work, like like Starfield or whatever. Yeah. You know, or streaming. That's like, and now I'm like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't do a lot of that, but the the when it works, when it's a game is made for it, like we're going to talk about Cyberpunk in a second, or you know, other games that actually support it, it's there's yes. nothing like it. It's very incredible. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I've been playing a lot of F Zero ninety nine, which uh, I am. I'm someone who, who has enjoyed F Zero in the past. I definitely enjoy playing F Zero on the Super Nintendo. I really liked F Zero X on N sixty four, and then I love F Zero GX on GameCube. But even that, it's like I played it at the time. I've gone back to it occasionally, uh, but all this like you know, hey, I would love them to make a new F Zero. This is for me exactly what I needed from a new F Zero. It is the Super Nintendo game as a battle royale. And really what that means, it's still just kind of a race and whoever is in first wins. Uh, but, you know, going up against 99 other people or 98 other people, uh, it, it's just this uh, nonstop, super fast feeling game where uh, it's most similar to Tetris 99, where like, there's so many other things you have to keep in mind of like, OK, I'm going to I have to race. Well, I have to like stay in the middle of the track, avoid the bumpers that take they either slow you down or they do damage to your shield. Your shield energy meter is also your boost meter. So like you are doing a risk reward with that. It's like if I boost now, yeah, I can maybe get a couple places up up there and be in better condition uh, in the, on the last lap, but then I'll have less energy and that makes me more susceptible to damage and more susceptible to getting crashed out. So you're keeping that in mind. And then there's all these um, little dots that, that have, get shot off of other cars when they do either a, an attack move or they hit a boost and you can gather those up and that fills up another meter that is your super boost and it takes you up to this highway in the sky where you can go uh, twice as fast. And it's like, okay, I got to be managing all these things. And really you have to be because the only way to win is for everything to go right and to get a little bit of luck. So it's a lot like other battle royales where you're like, I want to be in a good position. And then if things go my way on that last lap, I have a chance to win and you still have to race really well, but it's like I've won three times and it's just a really good feeling like you get from any good battle royale game. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Anyone has any sort of nostalgia for F-Zero? Does it, do they... whittle, does it whittle you down like Battle Royales do? A little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's um like the first lap, it's like you know, only five people at the end will get uh, uh, thrown out. But mm-hmm. what happens is 
people crash out too because they're being very risky and using a lot of boost or they're or you can bump into each other you could do the spin attack and knock someone and if they're if, you know if they're smoking there's a good chance that you might be able to hit them off to the side and and crash them and if you get a ko it refills your meter so you're mm. incentivized to be uh driving aggressively into other people so a lot of times uh the the the, the cutoff doesn't even matter because people are crashing out so much that it's like oh the bottom five have already been knocked out and then the next race or next lap, it's like the bottom 20. So you have to be in the top 80 or something like that. And that does happen. I've only like once been caught out because of that. Um, but but yeah, it does happen. How does it start your grid? Or like who gets pole position? Is that randomized? Yeah, so, or is it- so the the, the, the intro, the, the, the first part of it is actually pretty inter- interesting how they do that. You're all in a big line. Maybe there's two lines, but basically you're all side by side on this very, very wide portion of the race that you only use at the start. And then everyone funnels in mm. like into the into oh, the cool. regular track from there, and that's that's pretty cool. So at that mosh point, there's, there's at the beginning. <laughs> it's a mosh pit at the beginning, exactly. There's um a, usually a bunch of boost pads there. Uh, you, there's a lot of um advantages for the cars that have really fast acceleration because you can get out ahead of the pack. But then if you're out ahead of the pack, you're not getting as many of those dots that fill up your boost meter. So it's like, okay, where where do you want to be? Do you want to be in the car that has the highest top speed, or do you, and and has the best cornering? There's a lot of advantages there, but the one I use has the the most defense, the the best shields, so that I can maybe use one extra boost and and kind of sit sit in the middle of the pack and then attack when when I have my time. Um, it's a really well implemented version of both F Zero and a Battle Royale, and I'm really impressed by it. Do you do you like the the visual, the sort of retro visuals, or do you wish they had kind of progressed that a bit? Yeah, I was. Uh, I think I, uh, before I played it, I think I was kind of hoping they would have gone with like the GX style or even the N64 style. Uh, I think I would have been fine with that. But a- having played it, it's like no, I'm I'm pretty happy with this. I think it, the um, Super Nintendo visuals also do a nice little patchwork on Nintendo's internet, where it's like I'm not sure if this car <laughs> is where like it actually is in reality, or if the the system's just sort of guessing and putting it there. But it, it, as far as I could tell, there's no real. I mean. When I'm racing down there, it doesn't matter because when I hit them, I still run into them. And I think that's the game cheating a little bit. And I think the Super Nintendo graphics sort of cover that up a little bit. Cool. Christian, it feels like this is the game you'd be all over. Jeff, I don't know if you have a jingle that says how many games there are. um, No, I'm not aware of any. Yeah, there's too many. (laughs) There's too many. And that is it. (laughs) This is definitely a game that I am going to check out. It's part of my Nintendo switch online subscription that that base tier levels i don't even you don't need to do the expansion pass so it is queued up i just haven't played it yet but um mr grub what you were saying i i feel like all of these nintendo 99 games have been far and away better than what i was expecting when they were announced now it's like i'm trusting the quality in them but even the first i mean i remember when tetris 99 was announced Mr. Kanata, you and I were in the same room and it was like, what of Tetris? No, whoa, that's not. And then everybody's like, oh, well, maybe it will. This crazy enough, it might just work. And then it was incredible. Mario, like Mario 1 1, you know, 99. Too, just, right? Didn't they do a Pac Man one? Yeah, Pac Man. That one just, that one is either just closing down or already did close down. Yeah. yeah. That's the only sad thing about these is that I do think they are a little moth to a flame. They burn ephemeral. bright. Yeah. And then, yeah, burn out because there's not a lot of there there. And you need 100 um, people at any given time to play, <laughs> play it. You know, Tetris 99 is still going very strong. That's the, but yeah. that's also, I think, one of the, the better made ones. Um, you know, I think Pac Man 99 very good, but, uh, you know, you, clearly you got your fill. And I, even Super Mario 35, which I would still play. Uh, 
it probably did kind of uh, wear out its welcome eventually. I think F-099 is the closest in quality to Tetris 99. And is uh, cool. and, and that, again, it just comes down to you have all these things to manage. And if you are if you get in the groove, you could feel yourself making progress. And that's really nice. All three of us have been playing a uh, a game. It's not new, but feels new, perhaps. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is back. It is. Uh, it's it's got renewed life. It's that. It's it's disco, right? We all hated it, and now we love. Now, what, hey, man, this was cool all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the new 2.0 giant update that uh, revamped a whole bunch of systems adds a bunch of new graphical bells and whistles and all kinds of cool stuff is coming out alongside the first huge DLC called Phantom Liberty featuring Idris Elba. Uh, and I know Jeff, you've been playing it. Uh, Christian and I have been playing it. What do you, what do you think of cyberpunk now? Yeah. Uh, so when I, when it first came out, I, I cyberpunk, I reviewed it. And I gave it a, a three out of five uh, back then. And people were really mad at me for, for <laughs> saying the game was a three out of five. And then, um, and it came out in two weeks later, like, can't believe you gave it a three out of five. That's way too high. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> Gotta love the like, internet. Cool. cool, guys. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm someone who, you know, three out of five minutes, man, I liked it. I had a good time with the game when I first played it. I think that it is um, a much better game now, obviously, in a lot of ways. It, 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 the key ways are the uh, the character building and be able to spec out your characters better than ever, just having the more cyberware slots and kind of realizing that was the strength of the game is very good. The combat, that makes the combat even more fun. And then this Phantom Liberty DLC is just a cool spy thriller story um, in an awesome setting with amazing visuals and great acting. And I don't think, you know, the dialogue isn't that much better than the original. It's still kind of cheesy sometimes, but that's not a problem. That kind of goes with the setting a little bit. So I I think it's a good game that is now a very good game uh, in, in a lot of ways. It's still not what I think was promised in those trailers from E3, and that still rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But but when I just accept it for what it is at this point, it's like, well, I sit down. I have a good time with it. It's not going to be some immersive sim where every decision I'm making is being reflected back by this world the way that they definitely try to make it look in those early trailers. But when I go from one point to the to the next, I follow the story. It is uh, building up interesting characters. It makes me curious about the MacGuffins. It makes me curious about the motivations of all these uh, uh, you know agents working in this space. And that is more than enough because, again, it's it's a gorgeous looking game. I just like spending time in it. So if they give me a good reason to do that, I'm going to be all aboard. Now that it is, you know, revitalized it, in this specific period of time coming out alongside Baldur's Gate 3, alongside Starfield, how do you think And you already kind of talked about how it's, you know, the, it's RPG promises in those early E3s, maybe not still not living up to them. Do you, How do you think it reflects? Uh, in the in the shadow of these huge role playing games that have become so popular just in the last couple of weeks, I I think that I mean I think it uh, compares pretty favorably to something like Starfield, uh, where it's like um, underneath Cyberpunk feels pretty similar to a Fallout game in a lot of ways, but it makes a lot of the improvements that I think people wanted from Starfield in terms of. Uh, uh, character models and animation and overall visuals and o- overall immersion of the visual space. Um, but I think it's, I mean, I, I don't think it very favors, uh, compares very favorably to Baldur's Gate 3 um, or, or a lot of other, th- or even just a lot of other open world games too, where it's like I, the, the open world itself is still mostly a veneer in cyberpunk. Like you, it exists to be looked at from a distance. And if you go up and try to do something with it uh, up close, well, you could shoot them. You could shoot these people. That's about right. it. 
Yeah. Uh, and even the, even the cops, the, the improvements they made there aren't some it's not that much of a game changer. It's still kind of a, a, a bit stale. Um, so I, I think that they have figured out a lot of their problems, but it's not like that night and day. Oh, this is a completely different game that something like No Man's Sky got. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, that they've put so much work into that over so long. And even like the early updates, it was a big, big change. And now they've done five updates since then, uh, five big free updates. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Cyberpunk has found its footing. It's clearly changed the narrative. People are very happy with the game. And I think they should be because it was always a good game. And now it's something that I think anyone can go into. And if you start with like the Phantom Liberty stuff, you're going to be in, in a very good, like, worthy game, uh, worthy of coming out right now and try to compete with all these other things that are coming out. Christian, you've also been playing it. What do you, what do you, what do you think? I love Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. I will get ribbed for this later at the end of the year if this holds up. But right now I'm going to say it. It is worthy or it is able to be considered for a favorite of the year. I think it is that different or that much of an improvement. It is that big of an expansion. I've put probably 17 hours into Phantom Liberty. I have not rolled credits in it yet. And and also just to clarify, Mr. Kanata, the 2.0 is out as of we're recording this The for the base game. Phantom Liberty comes out in a few days, but 2.0 to the base game released prior. And I'm blown away by what 2.0 is and what Phantom Liberty brings to that as this whole package. So it is DLC that's only current gen, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC. And I should say I was provided a code for um, Phantom Liberty by NVIDIA, whose DLSS 3.5 tech is in the game. Amazing! It's amazing. It's so good. Amazing. It's truly amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Like, I don't think I'm just impressed by the shiny flashy, but if I am, call me shallow all day, because if this is what shallow looks like, (laughs) this is the first time it's worked though. This is, this is ray tracing finally coming into its own. Like we had reflections are cool. uh, Shadows are cool. Global illumination, uh, where, where it actually, the light actually works the way you want it to. And it's like, we've had, we've even had global illumination before, but 3.5 with the denoising tech that they have on the ray tracing, the path tracing now, really actually has come into its own to where it's like oh i could see how this is better than a bunch of artists working on rendering light for hours and hours <laughs> and years and years and years it's like that finally this is better than that it is stunning i totally agree mr grub like what they've brought to the table with this tech you know kanata we talked before about and portal and how the button looked like a delicious piece of candy that you wanted to eat now Every piece on my motorcycle, I'm still still mostly a bike chick in in cyberpunk, and every piece on my motorcycle is this beautiful glass that's transparent and looks like candy and the color comes through and the headlights are reflected around with the full path tracing in the game that CD Projekt made with cyberpunk is a perfect showpiece for it because it's neon soaked at night, raining, all of this stuff happening, and it astonishes me that, and I know Phantom Liberty is new, but even just base 2.0, Cyberpunk 2077, that this game came out in, what, 2020 or whenever it did. Like, these characters seem so fully realized and well animated and brought to life in a way. And I don't know if it's just because I'm coming to this after rolling credits in Starfield or not, but... I'm blown away by the changes made to 2.0. So what I did is I went, you can jump right into Phantom Liberty like you could on the Witcher 
um, expansion. You could just, line they'd kind of stuff, give yeah. you a, yeah, they'd give you a Geralt that had some perks and you could assign them and give you a quick little recap and off you could go. Or Phantom Liberty unlocks about 10 to 12 hours into Cyberpunk is when you can kind of go on that that tangent, if you will. And so I reloaded a save that was eight hours in to Cyberpunk 2077. I didn't remember what I was doing, but I had, I'm, you know, I, I keep my, my save scumming going. So I found one that was eight hours in because I wanted to put a lot of time into 2.0 before opening up Phantom Liberty. So I put in about four hours in 2.0 before I got the quest prompt to go do Phantom Liberty and just playing around in that. So for folks who don't know, uh, the perk system is totally reworked. You have vehicular combat, which is awesome because before I'd get in trouble in my car and it just became whack-a-mole, but it said it was ram-a-mole. And I was like, who can I run off the road as other people are shooting at me? And it just wasn't enjoyable. The stamina system has totally changed. And that took me a while to wrap my head around because now it's tied to weapons and dashing. Whereas before it was tied more to just your general character movement. And so it kind of slowed down how you progress through the world. And then the other big change is the armor and um, cyberware, the way the amount you're able to have and how you get it. So now in 2.0, any Ripper dock can apply any mod, more or less. Whereas before, it was like, oh, I really want, what's the one that makes you go invisible? I forget what it's called. I want the invisibility thing because you hear about it. You'll hear world chatter about it or some enemy will have it and they'll talk about it. But you can't just go to a Ripper dock and get it. You got to find the Ripper dock that's in the docks. And they're not open at this time. And there was all this extra work that I think was intended to make the city feel real. But as a game, it was a real bummer. You know, it's like, I went to Best Buy. Give me the Spider-Verse (laughs) Blu-ray. I want it where I want it. And then coming off of Starfield, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, we've praised the crap out of on this show. I took some notes as I was playing Cyberpunk. And I think what kind of blows me away about it in terms of relation to Starfield back to back are these cinematic character interactions. We joked about uh, Kanata on a Wednesday episode. Starfield does the Bethesda center screen. You're locking. Oh, hello. Yeah, Jeff's doing it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, Jeff. I'm, you... uh, I'm curious if, if you've also played uh, cyberpunk. Oh yes, I have. And so has <laughs> Joanne, right? Joanne. <laughs> yes, Larry, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, in in Cyberpunk and Phantom Liberty, these characters are moving around the world, and the audio is incredible. Um, if you have like good a good sound system or good headphones, where Idris Elba walks behind you and that tracks, and he's performing, the character's performing. He'll like go lean on the bar, fiddle with something, like this very real lived-in space that these characters are doing as they're monologuing at you and giving you this this information and that just felt so refreshing and so cool to see these interactions. There's one in Phantom Liberty where behind the person talking to you, there's a one-on-one basketball game going on. And it's incredible. I got lost in like, they're talking smack. They're passing the ball to each other. They're like chest bumping. The one guy just like gets the ball off the sideline and the other friend like kicks it and throws it out again. And he's like, why'd you do that? Just like this drama happening. (laughs) that is beautifully animated and the characters are like emotive and expressive. And then the other really big thing about Phantom Liberty for me is how, again, I'm 16 hours in, I haven't rolled credits, but it turned down the dank (laughs) version of cyberpunk. Like it's still cyberpunk, but in the main game, 
minor spoilers, you are sent to houses of the oldest profession and engage in it in a way and given options to engage in it in a way that don't feel great i think like the base game cyberpunk has some like isn't this world gross yeah it's pretty it's like uh eastern european edginess that that they need to kind of outgrow a little bit yeah like isn't this sexy aren't you're on drugs drugs are cool don't do drugs kids but aren't they cool and phantom liberty leaves a lot of that behind you're still in a dark seedy world but the way they have it closed off and it's run by this military dictator and as grub described it's this spy thriller and double crosses with a very clear villain um well a very clear villain that unfolds and yeah and it's like no but you know there's more to it than that you know there is yeah (laughs) and 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 then the other part that i really like about this game i think probably when i'm playing it comparing it to starfield is the way it handles this main mission as V you're given this thrust, you're given this mission, you're set off to do something. And then you're interacting with these other characters and how it encourages you to explore the world is trying again to have this real lived in city where you just will say, uh, read, will say, uh, I'm going to go look into this too. It's going to take me a while. Uh, I'll call you. I'll call you when I'm done. It's probably going to be a day or two. And then you as the player are like, Oh, Reed's not going to call me for two in game days. So now I can go explore the world, do all these side missions that might actually give me information that's going to help me in the main mission. Or you can go into the options and say, skip time and just kind of stay on that treadmill. But I like the way that it encourages you to explore in a way that, again, feels real. And while it is not a full immersive sim, the times I've had, I think maybe because it's a smaller landmass on Phantom Liberty, the times I've had random NPCs talking about things I did have been awesome where I've stopped and listened. And in one moment, I'll be very vague. Like I was trying to be stealthy. I messed up. I went, you know, matrix uh, lobby scene going into the elevator, just blew everybody up. And I hear these other people talking about it and how they're going to reinforce defenses at this location. Then later I'm doing a side mission and I see on the sign, it's that location And so I don't know if I could have, it was heavily guarded. Now, is it always heavily guarded? I don't know. I didn't save scum that far back to then go do it, but it felt like there was this thing because of the thing I did, dude. And the cities feel lived in. It has a world city map. Um, (laughs) So I'm saying all this and I'm spending a lot of time on it because I am absolutely blown away by 2.0 Phantom Liberty. The DLSS 3.5 stuff is, is a absolute game changer. And to eat crow, I would not have played this game if I was not given a code or if I heard someone sing its praises the way I'm hopefully trying to do right now to our listeners. I would have been like, I like cyberpunk, but like Grub said, three out of five, I reloaded every time NVIDIA put cool new tech in it because yeah, totally. it's a world I wanted to live in and just drive around in. Now it is a world in which I want to play. It is, I love it, Kanata. I absolutely love it. I'm blown away. I don't have much to add. You've played more of it than I have uh, so far. And, um, I, you know, for me, it's just hard going back to Starfield <laughs> just because from pure visually, like it, it is the visuals. Yeah. Just night and day difference. You go back to Starfield and you're like, oh, I thought this game looked good. <laughs> it, it looks old. It, it looks, looks old. And, 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 and compared to Cyberpunk, it looks very old. It's, and Cyberpunk's uh, it looks the old com- game. It looks That's new true. compared to Skyrim. <laughs> 
Yep. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's wild to me that this three year old game is one of the most visually dazzling things I have on my hard drive. And, um, you know, seeing it in super ultra wide, seeing it with all the bells and whistles on, uh, like Christian, I, you know, we got codes from NVIDIA, we got cards from NVIDIA. So we're very uh, lucky to be able to talk about the game on its highest settings. But if you have the ability to, to look at this game, it's not, not one to be missed. It's really, really beautiful. And, uh, and it much improved. Uh, you know, I, I'm planning to play more of it this week, so I'll have more coherent thoughts, but I, I agree with Christian's, uh, you know, overall views that if this was the like first release of this game, it would be, I think it would be giving, all the other major heavy hitters this year are run for their money. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a jam packed year of, you know, landmark releases, but I think if this was our, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, but if this, you know, if, if people were coming to this for the first time, if it had been delayed three additional years, you know, <laughs> I think people would be like, Whoa, this game's incredible. So it does not feel think- like a three-year-old game to me. I think Idris is great in it also. I, I talked about how I was hopeful that Megan Fox would be awesome in Mortal Kombat 1, and apparently it seemed like maybe she didn't get the direction she needed to, to be her best self in that game. But no. Idris, I feel like, definitely talked to Keanu, and they talked about their experiences and his whatever full mocap he did and his voice lines. Like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cheesy B-thriller spy stuff that happens, but his his voice acting and performance in it, I think, is phenomenal. It's yeah. it's. And he's he's not always performance, performance captured. Like you get the moments where like he's in the car and you could tell like this is a me- mechanical a- animated person just kind of doing the hand anim- hand animation. Uh, but even that's like well, that still looks way better than something you get from Starfield that <laughs> uses a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there's more Keanu in it than I was expecting. I was like, oh well, they'll pay one or the other. So like when Keanu disappears early on, he gets replaced in your head for a moment. I'm like, well, there he goes. I'll see I you like when that, I yeah, go back to the clever. base game. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, no, he's no, he's totally going to be there. He, he spends a lot of time talking to you still. And I guess that's the biggest takeaway I have from this is they oh they spent they spent money on this. This yeah. is there is a lot of effort put into this. Yeah. A lot of attention to detail. Um, a lot of new voice acting. And I mean, it's kind of hard to like state this properly so much new stuff it feels in a lot of ways like a full-on sequel um you know or maybe the expand alone like miles morales is kind mm-hmm. of like the, yeah. the best point of comparison here uh and yeah I, I that alone is making it be like okay yeah the fact that you've played 17 hours like you're not the only person i've heard say that like oh i'm 15 hours in i haven't seen these new the credits for this i'm like oh okay wow that's that is a full new game yeah yes and the, the gunplay too i think that's the last all right flew my mind before comparison between this and starfield i liked starfield's perks it was fun like oh anti-grav or explodey fiddly bit or whatever cyberpunk it, it feels like a shooter for better or worse you know if, if you weren't i think that's part of where the reaction was too it's like this isn't the witcher this is a first person shooter and it controls just as well as as the top tier shooter should control um it feels tight it feels precise the gun plays great yeah they knocked it out of the park Uh, All right, so a game that came out several weeks ago now, and we have yet to talk about because Christian and I are not playing it, but I've heard very good things, and I'm very curious to hear you, Mr. Grubb, talk about Armored Core 6. Oh, it's a good video game. It is (laughs) very, very good. I'm not someone who has a history with Armored Core. I did see it at Summer Game Fest a little bit, so I was like, okay, it it perked my interest, but I'll see. Um, I... I'm I'm blown away by it. Really, it's it, it really comes down to a really 
moody, atmospheric game that uses its budget, which seems reduced compared to something like Elden Ring, uh, but it uses uses it really effectively in bringing you into that world where you are just this, uh, uh, it seems like, uh, genetically modified pilot, and people are always just talking to you, and you kind of kind of glean a little bit from their conversations. Uh, but it sets up like these cool scenarios where, hey, you're you're a merc, and you're just getting hired to do these jobs, and you don't have any sort of connection beyond that to any of these people you work with. So when the people you were just fighting hire you to go do a job, you're like, whatever, I'll go do it. And then you go on that job, and then suddenly you're down this corridor. And it's you know in this cool mech, and you're you're blowing everything up, and you're and you're, it's not been a problem at all so far. And then you go down this long, skinny corridor, and then you turn around, and the person who's been your your handle the whole time is like, "You're getting ambushed." Turn around, and you turn around, and all these other mechs go from being invisible to visible right in front of you. And it's just like, oh my god, they set me up, they're ambushing <laughs> me because I've been killing them, so they hired me so they could put do this to me. And it's like, oh. That's just really good. It's effective storytelling. It makes that mission feel so much more important and and thrilling. And then you fight your way out, and you just feel like a badass. You just feel so cool. And I um and then you, obviously it's a from game still in a lot of ways. Like people will say it's, it's not a, a Soulsborne, and it's not, but it's still a from game. And you're gonna get to those bosses that are bigger and bigger than life, but a lot of times they have all the same abilities as you, and it's just a a ne- knockout drag out fight of of who can. Who can like outplay the one another, one another, but who can outthink one another? And I really have been been enjoying it. It's just been blowing me away. I had a couple of issues where I was like making good progress, and I had the the save bug where my cloud save was getting overwritten, oh, and no. so I lost a lot of progress. And normally that would like just derail me, and I was so I was very frustrated. But even that couldn't stop me. I like I've lost in total about five to six hours of, Ugh, of progress oof. in this game. A huge amount stuff stuff that I can't I can't afford to lose five hours playing games like when I'm doing this as my job. But I I keep playing it and I'm getting real near the end. And I just couldn't recommend it highly enough. It is definitely one of my games of the year. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Armored yes. Core Six. Uh, yes, very good. high praise indeed. There you go, Christian. More more stuff to uh... add it to the list. Let's go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> add it to the list. Uh, speaking of the list, another game I think it's getting uh, a lot of buzz as being a very top tier souls like experience is something you've been playing christian lies of p i did i spent probably three hours in lies of p and then cyberpunk code showed up and i was like i guess i'll try this cyberpunk and see and then i was like whoopsie daisy sucked away um into night city again lies of p i think there's a lot of fun to be had here there are one really cool kind of I don't know if it's a change, but thing that I appreciated of a Souls type game is that it feels more forgiving at the very beginning. I know a lot of folks bounced off of Souls, actual Souls Dark Demon, because if you turned left, you know, if you went the wrong way at the beginning, you just died a bunch and the game didn't Mario 1 1 you. The game was just like, yeah, yeah, you got to keep doing that, I guess. And people would get frustrated and leave. Um, and I think Lies of P does a good job of kind of, you know, pushing the baby bird out of the nest, but making it a smaller drop than other Souls type games have in terms of a, a difficulty spike initially. I also like the way that you're able to regain health capsules by fighting people. Um, a lot of those, that genre of game for me, I am health constrained and. I know that's part of the tension, but it's nice to be able to make a mistake 
and then aggro your way out of it, which I'm not good enough to do in those games. I know a lot of players can. I've seen your clips. I've seen your streams. They're incredible. That's not me. But in Lies of P, I'm able to aggro my way out of one mistake, one small mistake, I should say. A big mistake, I'm still dead. But one small mistake, I can usually aggro my way out of, which is awesome. What holds Lies of P back, in my opinion, from being the next step in this genre, even in being a a tighter world than something like Elden Ring, is that I can't stop comparing it to Bloodborne, which I know is an unfair comparison, but just because the settings are similar in terms of visual aesthetic. And I think Bloodborne was the first one of these that I rolled credits on. And it, to me, is a masterpiece of the genre for how I like to, I already mentioned trying to aggro out of a situation. Bloodborne is so fast compared to some of the other games. And so playing Lies of P and thinking this is okay, like this, I'm always like, this is pretty good. Man, I wish we'd get that 60 uh, <laughs> FPS Bloodborne already. And that's constantly going in the back of my head. And again, my three hours of Lies of P. I got past the first boss, I think is where I am. And then I've had some geometry issues which I've read online that other folks also you kind of get cornered and you don't have a good way to maneuver your way out of it. So I would say lies of P is a excellent dish to keep eating if you can't get enough of the genre, but I wouldn't recommend it as a first foray or as the best of the best. Are you, I know you're not super far into it, but are you enjoying the Pinocchio of it all? Is there, is there a fun play? Yeah, how's on Roberto that? Benigni in this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's actually just a dead-eyed Tom Hanks. Oh, everything okay. still. Which <laughs> I is, couldn't uh... afford Benigni. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like creepy fairy tales. And so I like a creepy Pinocchio. Um, I wish that it said it a little more. I think, no offense to anyone, I think Lies of P is a stupid name. Like, yeah, that's no, not be great. Pinocchio. Yeah, just, just be or, Pinocchio, or, or at least say at least be America McGee's Pinocchio. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something. And so I, I think it's a creative setting, and I think it is a dark fairy tale. Even Disney's version is dark. I mean, Honest John, if I have his name right, which I've maybe messed up twice now, it's dark. And so I like playing in that world, and it seems like the interesting stuff has happened in because of fallout in this world and universe first, but I'm not far enough into the story yet to know if it like nails it narratively. Cool. I, uh, I'll say that, um, Jan at giant bomb, uh, he's been like playing this. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, he's, he plays a lot of stuff. And then last night he's like, yeah, I, I beat it. And I, I can't believe it. I'm like, wait, you already beat it. Cause like, he plays so much stuff. Like usually he doesn't beat anything. Like not, not at least not that quickly. And he fell in love with Liza P. Wow. So that's kind of the thing that's got me be like, okay, I got to at least try it. So I have it on Steam. I'm going to be downloading it. I'll see if there's the Roberto Bonini mod, and I'll put that in there, and then we'll see. <laughs> I think it's also on Game Pass, right? So That sounds right. It yes. is av- yeah, totally. It is available on yes. Game Pass. There you go. Very cool. Um, I want to just take a quick second and do my uh, Jeff's Indie Game of the Week, which usually means a roguelite. And this week it is, uh, what if I told you, ladies and gentlemen, that you could do a roguelite, a, a deck-building, card-based, battling uh, roguelite like I like. You know how I love my cards and my cards in my video games? You know how I love my roguelike in my video games? What if I told you you could do that and also be a Civ game? Uh, I've been playing a game called These Doomed Isles, which you may recall from, uh, I think, a numerous 
um, appearances in, in, in various uh, stage presentations over the last couple of years. Uh, these Doomed Isles uh, is really cool in that it provides basically a civilization-esque, you know, god god sim god you know god game where you're this deity building um you know uh, towns and having tech trees and all that stuff manipulating the the very landscape of this world and dropping trees onto it dropping land masses onto it you are truly a deity with these powers uh and you're able to do all of that in just a short amount of time, you're in, you're out, you've either won or failed, you're on to the next run, you're doing it like a roguelite where you're having these runs, you're seeing how far you can progress. One of the cool things about these Doomed Isles is that when you have complete, basically you start a run and you're given these three victory conditions, not uh, three three requirements for victory, basically. Uh, so you have uh, three goals that you need to achieve in order to trigger a boss fight. So you will, you will fight another deity in this world who has powers that are, you know, uh, rival your own. That well, not really not rival your own, but they're, they're more powerful than the little uh, civilization people that perhaps have taken their ships to your land and are attacking you that way. This is a much more intense, you know, boss level fight. But if you succeed in that, you're given the option to either start a new run or continue on with the little world that you've created in one of two ways. One way is, hey, you can still, you know, have periodic uh, bad guys come and mess you up and attack you and you got to defend against them. Or it gives you the option of having this peaceful progression of your little world. So you can keep the world you made that you were successful in your run of and keep like adding new towns and and things and, and, you know, huts and buildings and all things without having to worry about anybody attacking you it's the coolest reward mm. i think for having a successful run in a roguelite is like well you want to just hang out <laughs> yeah i do like that that sounds awesome it's the coolest um i have really enjoyed this game it is uh it's got a very charming pixel art look to it uh it is um it's you're in you're out it's challenging i mean it, i got my butt handed to me several times in this game uh, but you you have you have these cards. You get a deck of cards, and you play the cards. You can play as many cards as you want on your turn, as long as you have enough resources to play them. And for me, usually the biggest resource that was a limiter was faith. Uh, faith as a deity, as you are playing a deity, you have to maintain the faith of the, of the people, uh, your followers, the people on your landmass, and you can do that in a number of ways. But a lot of things require faith to play them in order to, you know, build things or modify the land in some way. But also in order to like refresh your deck, you have to spend faith. And a lot of times, just the luck of the draw, you don't have any good cards for the thing you need. And like I said, you can play as many cards as you want on your turn. But if you end your turn, you are literally moving to the next season of the, you know, this isn't. There aren't a lot of turns in this game. You have to make a lot of things happen in a short period of time to survive. Four turns and you have a new year. And a new year means the thing, bad things can happen. People can come at you. You got to, you know, deal with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a changing of, of circumstances around you. So you have to get, you have to maximize your turn. And sometimes just having the right cards in your hand, the luck of the draw, the, 
you know, the uh, RNG of it all can turn a good run into a bad run. And so you want to spend that faith to like refresh your cards and try different things. I I really like this game. I think it is such a cool way to do a, you know, a God game, a, a Civ type uh, situation. I mean, you've got, you know, you got to build housing for your people. You got to maintain their happiness. You build, you know, you build the lumber th- yard and you got to build trees so that the, the workers can, you know, harvest the trees and get lumber. You want to build a mine so you can get gold. You're doing all the stuff that you would expect in these games. You're just doing it in fewer moves and over a shorter period of time. So you're just, you're doing it quicker. There's not a lot of that protracted, you know, I mean, I play one civilization game for a year and a half, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not that it, it feels like it's this really cool way to speed all that up and, and concentrate the fun. Uh, and in doing so also make it really challenging because you know, you'll be doing great. And then you'll have these invaders come and you got to build defenses. And oh my gosh, I don't have enough workers. And oh my gosh, their happiness has fallen. So a lot of the workers rebelled. One of the cooler things about the game too, is that you start on this little island in the sea and there are other land masses around that may have certain things already on them. And if you can play a card that will drop squares of land and you, excuse me, and you can manage to connect them to your uh, existing landmass, you automatically get all the stuff that was waiting there for you. So all you got to do is connect it and you like trigger these cool events that happen. Oh my gosh, there's new people there. Oh my gosh, there's, there's gold or resources already there. Cool stuff. So like affecting the world ge- um, geography is also a cool way to affect, uh, to gain power and uh, do new things in the game. A lot of, a lot of th- things to like about these doomed isles uh, a game that i i very much enjoy it looks like it's uh, out tomorrow actually on yes. steam yes and yeah. of course i got a code for it but uh, yeah it's it's in early access and they plan to be in early access for a year but right. it very much feels like a complete game like i didn't i didn't come out of my experience going oh well i'm sure it'll get better i i felt like wow this is really a very uh, complete game already and i can't wait to see what another year of development will bring to it yeah it, lo- it looks really promising i'm definitely going to check this out i'm going to recommend steam, it at work tomorrow steam deckable it sounds like I a great steam deck. On steam deck game. but it sounds i mean it seems like it would be very it very perfect much so. for it, right yeah, yeah. It, it very much uh yeah you know i love these little games like this on steam deck very cool yeah, very oh much. yeah. i mean and every game is better as a roguelite so let's go. <laughs> i agree too yeah. i agree uh-huh. i think christian does we not should do the, but... <laughs> we should do the podcast that way from now on like we start and like ah well sorry go to the <laughs> first one up. story yep. think, yeah yeah i think the fact that we've done over 500 of these is that already christian <laughs> every single week we get another run at it <laughs> see, if we do, see if we do it this time <laughs> we've yet to finish finish the game success finish the podcast successfully. <laughs> all right anyway well that does bring us to the end of this episode this run uh, we, we did it all together as a family uh, we do have parting gifts coming up so stick around for those but jeff grubb it is always so awesome talking to you thank you for being here yeah thanks for having me guys it's it's really great to just hang out with you it's a good way to uh, wrap up the weekend and stuff like that so thank you so much uh, we appreciate it tell the folks where they can see more of the awesome stuff that you do online 
Yeah, yeah, we're, we do a lot of fun stuff. We'll run Giant Bomb, uh, trying to get, uh, always trying to make more things happen over there. So definitely tune in for that. Uh, you just go to giantbomb.com, catch our stuff there. And then I, I do a lot of stuff on my own. Uh, the Jeff Grubbs, Jeff Grubbs Game Mess, as you mentioned. You can get gamemess.net, takes you to our Discord. And uh, we got a great community over there. So if you want to hang out with some cool people and uh, get, get a load of our stuff as we're putting it out, that's a good way to do that. Absolutely. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, I just remember, uh, Grub, when Giant Bomb, you all started airing, recording early on Giant Bomb, talking about how you all were thinking about buying Nintendo. I remember when that was embarrassing. <laughs> That's right. That, uh, that audio Listen, leaked. Everybody's yeah, my lawyers it. tell me I'm, not, I'm still not allowed to talk about it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be the crown jewel in your, <laughs> in your yeah. career. It'd be a career be moment, you know, yeah, yeah. for any of us. <laughs> <laughs> um this show is on threads and also is now going to be active jeff wait for it canada instagram you know wait 10 years and then spin up the Instagram. so we do channel we wait it. literally mm-hmm. a decade from when we start and then we're like hey social media thing feels like it's happening <laughs> uh-huh uh, happening to end so we better jump on that bandwagon um instagram and on threads as dlc hype train also, some feed forward we got from listeners was putting up, if not the whole podcast, which uh, I won't do the whole video version of the podcast on YouTube, but segments. So uh, I'm going to start putting up segments of this show discussions on the YouTube channel, which I would give a link to, but I don't think we've done anything on it. So I don't think there's a link to give. I'm sure there's, it's like youtube.com slash 421Q29721. <laughs> Keep your eyes whatever. on the space because we will. That'll happen. <laughs> That, that is, it has been great feed forward and something that uh, I don't have the time to do, but we will do. So thank you listeners for that. Look for those there. And um, I w- I'll be playing more cyberpunk. I'm in love. I'm in love, fellas. I'm, I'm I, glad to I, hear it. I, I was yeah, shocked awesome. how blown away I am by it. Yep. Uh, you can follow me on socials. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, there are other shows that I do. You could check out, including the film cast talking about movies and TV shows. Uh, I do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way, and a sports show called The Fan Controlled Show over at Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Also, if you want to check out my personal YouTube channel, it's uh, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. Uh, that's where we do the video version of the book club, where Lana Bashinsky and I are going through the Malazan books of the fall, or I keep getting it wrong, the Malazan book of the fallen. Uh, which is uh, 10 books. So I don't know. You can see why I get it wrong. It's, uh, it's a little <laughs> confusing. Um, all right. Let's uh, wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Jeff, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, yeah. This will actually help you get through your, through your week. It's uh, something I've discovered. It's the right way to nap. Uh, people, people, a lot of people don't like naps. It's because they're doing it wrong. Don't go in there thinking like you're going <laughs> to actually fall asleep and be able to get an hour and a half or some crap like that and then wake up and be all right. Uh, the ideal nap is about 20 minutes, and you should do it after you have a cup of coffee or an espresso or something like that. So what you want to do is you get you go in, you take that uh, espresso shot, you lay down. Don't just don't try to fall asleep. Just lay there with your eyes closed for 20 minutes. And then you pop up and you're going to feel better because that that caffeine's going to just like ram your dopamine system and you're going to wake up feeling like a million bucks. I promise you try it. It's uh, it really does help out a ton. So nappuccinos is what we call them. Go <laughs> get yourself amazing. a nappuccino. 
It feels like the equivalent of the nap that Uma Thurman took in Pulp Fiction. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Just jab it right in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing. I love the Nappuccino. Uh, yes, Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? The latest book I have finished is Fairy Tale by Stephen King. Mm. It's awesome. It is a total page turner. It is not a horror story um, in the way that a lot of, you know, It or Pet Cemetery or what you might think of as Stephen King. It is for adults. It has swear words and grisly descriptions of, you know, dead things. But it is of the genre of a portal story, uh, a Narnia, another world going into a, a fantasy world, a young hero traveling into this fantasy world. And... It is so smart in how it is aware of the real world. It's written as a memoir. And so, it, you know, it references other Stephen King books, but not in a way that's like, oh, Stephen King plugging his own work again, you know, tooting his own horn. It's like, no, this is the world and a type of association you'd make. It also mentions Piers Anthony books, which I was a big Xanth head. Is, are, are, were we Xanth heads? I don't know what we were called, but Piers Anthony fantasy fans back in the day. And it so smartly is... And I do not mean this negatively. It is so smartly derivative of fairy tales, but uses that as a feature, not a bug, where it builds on this world of we all know these fairy tales and kind of like Liza P, dark versions, children's versions, and plays into that in a knowing way where the, the, the protagonist talks about that being a thing and that's how the world exists. And I appreciate the book having curse words in it and having gruesome descriptions of dead bodies because Stephen King does that better than so many other people do. At the same time, I think there's a the potential for a quote-unquote clean version of this book that's Hunger Games level popularity. I mean, it is just ripe for that. Like if you have a, a child who can handle cursing and kind of some grisly combat, this is that style of book. Or maybe it's just that style of book for adults, but it's like feeds into the, you know, kind of a Harry Potter fantasy world that is so well described and lived in. And it has all of the trappings of that fun journey. Fairy tale by Stephen King, easy page turner and well worth the time. In my opinion. Very cool. Who knew Stephen King could write? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that young guy. I'm writing Stephen the name King. down. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I hope he makes something of himself someday. Mm -hmm. uh, well, speaking of writers uh, that are up and coming, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to use my parting gift to tell you about a book that I'm doing. Holy moly, what? Me? Yes, you guessed it. Me. Because I told you. Um, if you're familiar with the fact that I do limericks, uh, both on my Cameo page, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, where you can order a bespoke limerick, your very own. Uh, also, really where it started was the film cast. Uh, every single week on the film cast, uh, I review a new movie alongside David Chen and Devinder Hardwar. And part of the thing that I've been doing for the last, I don't know, several years, uh, just as a, a lark, just kind of to make fun of Dave, uh, is, uh, is a limerick version of the review. Well, it turns out um, there's a book publisher who's willing to cobble all those together and put them out, but only if there's enough interest from the public. That's you. That's where you come in, dear listeners. Uh, my my debut book, <laughs> the first time I've ever been published, or maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, best summed up. 
they're publishing it as a quiz book. So the idea here is that you would read my limerick review. Uh, oh, they'll fun. be organized in terms of super easy all the way to very, very hard. And you'll try to determine what movie I'm talking about uh, based on the limerick. Uh, and uh, this is a collection of over 100 limericks that I've done. Uh, and we're launching it or have launched it, launched it last Friday uh, as a crowdfunded uh, initiative here on a site called Unbound, which is a book publisher that is crowdfunded. Um, so if, if basically what happens is if this thing gets funded, it's going to be in stores. It's going to be in bookstores. It's going to be in gift shops it's all over the world. This is a UK-based Airports? Company. What's airports? I don't know, baby. It's amazing. Mm, I, I hope it'll know. be it's in crazy. airports. That's where uh, I buy books. Yeah, I hope so. Um, the idea – I. I'm I'm as amazed by all this as anybody. I just don't think I can't believe it's already hap it's happening at all. Uh, we're already at forty three percent funded as I speak. This so if we can get to one hundred percent funded, this is not an expensive book. Uh, you can get the digital version for fifteen bucks. Uh, Twenty bucks will this plus shipping will get you the paperback uh, first edition, which is pretty cool, and the ebook. They throw in the ebook as well. And your name is in the back of the book for 20 bucks. Uh, 20 bucks. It's easy. Uh, and things go up from there. There's some cool perks. You can get signed editions uh, from me. Um, so check it out over at unbound.com. Uh, unbound.com. If you go there right now, I'm on the main page. You can see it. Or you can go to unbound.com slash books. And the book is called Best Summed Up, the Ultimate Film Limerick Quiz Book. And uh, I'm hoping that folks will... Uh, you know, maybe use it as a stocking stuffer this year. It's kind of a fun gift. We're trying to time it around the time so that the the uh, crowdfunding will will finish up right before the the holidays. And you know, maybe we can uh, get this thing in stores and folks will uh, buy it as a fun gift for for film lovers out there. So please, you know, throw down uh, fifteen twenty bucks maybe if you're interested and, and get yourself a, a really fun goofy uh, book of my limericks. <laughs> That's so <laughs> great. Do you have any limericks that have the name of the movie in them? And do you just like have to leave that blank and that becomes the guessing game? Well, I do. And we haven't really decided how we're going to do that. But I think the solution for that, up to, uh, we may change it, but the solution for that up to this point is we're classifying, classifying some of them as super easy. So okay. like there'll be ones sure. that there's a couple where like the, the rhyme, the fun of the rhyme is that I rhymed the title of the movie. Uh -huh. So it's kind of like, well, I can't really leave that out, but um We'll see. We'll see. We're going to fiddle with it. But I think it's basically like there's going to be a section of like, these are super easy just yes. for fun. And then there's going to be the ones where it's like, what even is this movie? Okay. Very uh, fun. Yeah. So. I love it as a quiz book, too. It's brilliant because it's one, a fun mental exercise your first time through. But then after, if you're able to solve them or you look at the answers, it's still this wonderful collection of your limericks that having listened to the film cast forever, they don't lose their luster if i know what the movie is right it's still like such a treat to go on that journey so i love that it starts as a quiz book and then becomes you know like a coffee table book or you have friends over party book it's it's fun it's like a fun uh you pull it out go through i don't know i think it's good and i love the name too well it's also um, kind of cool that it's it, it's just like this compendium of of all the biggest movies that came out over the last you know five to seven years like it's like i don't even know how long i've been doing it but like five years <laughs> three to five years whatever it is but it's like this the, the, this grouping of movies of a very specific time period and if it's successful enough maybe we'll do you know different volumes for different time periods it could be really cool oh that'd be very cool yeah thanks guys thanks for the support i appreciate it all right that's gonna do it for this episode of dlc thanks again to jeff grubb and christian spicer for hanging out with me thanks to our musical contributors patrick l sean madigan and zero star 
for the fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Our biggest thanks have to go for our patrons because without them, we would not be making this show at all. So you can become one of them at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top tier patrons, our hype train level patrons, they get their names read out at the end of every episode, which Christian is going to do right now. Hello, dear patrons, and welcome to Patron Phone. Today's, this week's, patrons, playing at your local Podcast theater need to be thanked on Patron Phone. Dwayne T. Robinson, Rob Wonder, Rob Dominguez, Kevin Eddie, Brian Jordan, Hyperboy Six Six, David Epp, John Cisco, Andy Joyce, Anthony Gulas, Dan Flan. Again, Sasan, Adam Denby, Scooby Diesel, Jonathan Talbert, Chris Zacharias, Wool with one L Harris, Jonathan Putney, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Ben, Kevin Brazel, Stu Goss, Jonathan. Open quote, Spiceman Forever, close quote, Schlepplefer. Albert for Hell de Dios. Open quote, Spiceman Silencer, close quote. Mike Lombardo, Michael Buck, Peter Oldberg, Jad, Christian Bravery, Octavian Ratziu, Jason Novak, Taylor Wigert. Josh Peak, Nick Strauss-Klein, Michael Stadler, Jackson, Travis, Soren Silk, Yick, Zachary White, Nate, Jenny, Scott Hughes, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mitchell Ness, Jeff Luxack, Matt Bradley, Victor Valenzuela, Cheesy Bob, Hank Patton, Open Quote, Rob Rixman, Close Quote. Riley Knox, Kyle Starr, Michael S., Relentless Rex, Curtis from Louisville, Comedian Aaron Trahan, Shuruken, Scott Lambert, Joe Diprank, Stephen T. Seifert, Tyler Buckwild Broad are all playing in a podcast theater near you. Thank you for calling. Goodbye. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.